encourage us. Encourage us. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Here is a verse in Isaiah 11 and verse 10. It says, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Here is a prophecy from Jeremiah, chapter 23 and verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Isn't it interesting that one verse said that he was going to be the root. Another one said he was going to be the branch at the same time, at the same time. I, I think that's, this is probably the secret to this verse that says, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Because when you really look at this verse, it's not just talking about a, a stick or a smoking bit of tinder. It's talking about a person. Uh, let, let, let me read to you what I think is one of the most technical verses in all of the Bible, one of the most difficult verses to understand in the Bible. This is 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him. Then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. My mother and I were reminiscing this past week. Before I was married, mom and I traveled together. She'd sing and I would preach. One time, uh, a very high-profile man was preaching at a camp meeting where her and I were attending, and the guy got off the platform and was just preaching, and we were sitting on the front row, and right in the middle of his preaching, he just looked at me and he said, uh, you're supposed to come and preach for us for six weeks, and just walked away. And then right after service, he gave me a time when he wanted me to be there. And uh, I was 19, and uh, I remember going to, that, to his home. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I had a rack in the back of my car, a rod where I had my shirts and my suits, and 
<clears throat> my suit, my trunk was always full of books. So I, uh, I brought in some of my clothes and then I, I brought in my books where uh, I was going to be staying and I went to shut the door and he said, uh, wait a minute, he said, where's, where's your wife? And I said, um, I'm not married. And if I ever saw a man in abject terror, it was that man that night. He was, it was like that Bible said, his countenance fell. <laughs> he said, well, who was that woman you were sitting with at the camp meeting? I said, that's my mom. He said, your mother? I said, yeah, I can get her to come here and sing if you want. But <clears throat> So the first night he introduced me, everybody, no one said anything. I mean, the whole night I preached. No one said nothing. They were just like in shock. Second night, they warmed up a little bit. On the third night, it started to crack. Finally, on Sunday evening, we got somewhere. And... Uh, after service, he came and he said, I suppose you noticed that the church has been quite tight. I said, yes. He said, I need to explain that to you. He said, uh, about six months before you came, we had a preacher that wasn't married and <clears throat> he just played all day long and uh, it was terrible. It was a disaster. And he said, I got up in front of the church and I vowed that I would never have another single evangelist again. And he said, who is the next guy that I bring but you? And he said, so I guess God was rebuking me to not make so many ultimatums. And uh, <laughs> mother and I were going one time to a little church in West Virginia. I wish you could have met the pastor. Annie Clark was her name. She was a very, 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 very unique woman. And um, um, I was late for church. I'd never been there before, and I didn't realize how far back in those hills it really was. And so uh, I, was, I was going pretty fast to get there, and there was a policeman literally hiding in a tree and uh, pulled me over, and um, uh, I told him it would be okay if I dropped my mom off at the church, and he said, yeah, but... We have, to, we have to go see the judge. And I uh, said, okay. So I dropped mom off at the church. And uh, I, they took me to this little house where there was a little skinny guy in a pair of boxer shorts watching a football game. He was the mayor. He was the judge. And he was the chief of police. And uh, <clears throat> he turned the volume down on the television. He said, how do you plead? I said, guilty, your honor. He said, okay, that'll be $110. I said, I don't have any money. And he looked at me and he said, well, we'll take a check. I said, I, I don't have a checking account. He said, uh, well, we can't take credit cards. He said, can't, can't you call one of your relatives and get some money, son? I knew, I knew there was no jail in that city and I knew just by chance, that the closest jail was 100 miles away. And I told him, I said, no, sir, you're going to have to take me to jail. And he said, now, 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 just wait a minute, son. He said, we ought to be able to work something out here. He said, can't you get money anywhere? I said, I'm just a poor preacher 
I'm on my way to preach at a church trying to make some money. If you want to wait till after I preach and they pay me, then I could possibly sign over what check they give me to you. No, 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 no. He said, not going to do that. And uh, he said, I, 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 looked at the, I, looked at, I looked at him and I said, you know, I, I know you can let me go. He said, look, the officer arrested you, son. We've got you, the records. I looked at the police officer. I said, well, I know you've got the ability to let me go. And he said, look, I don't enforce the law. That's the judge's job. I just picked you up, brought you here. <clears throat> I looked at that skinny little guy. and He just shook his head, slapped his little tiny fist on that little chair and said, case dismissed, turned up the volume on the football game. And... Uh, <laughs> I got there in time to see Annie Clark start church. She had a big bell with a big handle on it. And she, jing, 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 jing. And that's when church started. And uh, it was quite an experience. Found out she called me the little brother. Had everybody praying because she knew them cops would have given her own grandmother a ticket if they could have. I told her the story and she laughed. I just found it was curious to... See this skinny little guy in his chair that uh, he, was, uh, he was the judge, he was the mayor, and he was the chief of police all at the same time. That's my mental model of this verse. Over the years, you have heard me talk about a man that I met some time ago. His name was Avram Bornstein, and uh, he was an Orthodox rabbi, and uh, he fascinated me, and... Uh, um, I was surprised that he would even talk to me. And uh, first question he asked me was, do you know where your people are from? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he began to explain to me my heritage and where my family had come from and who they were. He was the first one to tell me that my family were all German Jews. <clears throat> I, I thought he was crazy to find out my, my aunt, who was a big deal in all this genealogy stuff, Found out, said, we, we were all Jews. <laughs> and uh, I would go there and talk to him. And he, he, they never tell you something. They ask you questions. That's how they teach. And one day, Avram asked me this question. He said, Harold, who made man? And I said, okay, Avram, I'll bite. God made man. No, it's not what the Torah says. He said, uh, God didn't make man. He said, for goodness sakes, Harold, you're a, you're, you're a pastor. You ought to know that. He said, quote two and seven for me. I said, and the Lord God formed. He said, stop. He said, did you get it? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, okay, quote it again. I said, and the Lord God, stop. He said, did you get it? I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, one more time, Harold, quote it. I said, and the Lord God, stop. He said, did you get it yet? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, okay, Harold, let's go a little slower here. He said, what is God? I knew better than to say Yahweh, because if I'd have said that, he would have slapped my face. That's the unnameable name of God. I said, Elohim. 
He said, right, what's it mean? I said, righteous judgment and justice. He said, good. He said, now, what is Lord? I said, Lord is Adonai. He said, what does that mean? I said, merciful. He said, exactly. He said, did you get it yet? I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, Harold, God made the trees. God made the fish. God made the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. But he said, when God got ready to make man, he knew man would need more than a judge. So it is the first compound reference to God in the word. Lord God. Not just God. God is Elohim or judgment. But in front of the judge was the merciful Lord. Because he said he knew man with his flesh and flaws was going to need mercy and not just a judge. And, and it, 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 it applies to what I'm trying to teach you right now. Because even, even, here's Acts 11 and verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. When Avram said that, I, I talked about the Lord God. I said, let me talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going there. <laughs> but this is a very common reference in the New Testament. He's not just Jesus Christ. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important because what is God? I mean, there's lots of ways to answer that question. But if you use Scripture to explain Scripture, I, I would take you to John 4.24, and it's very clear. God is spirit. When Jesus walked through that wall again and confronted Thomas. He said, handle me and see. A spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. I've told you this sometimes before. If you know what a hologram is, that little piece of multicolored foil that they try to use to trick the the forgers on your credit cards and other pieces of, of documents sometimes on, on, on uh, if you go to other countries, especially Australia and England, uh, all their money's plastic. It's not paper, it's plastic. And, um, and it holds up better than our paper. It would startle us to know how much paper money is burned every week in what well, at the, you know, the United States Mint simply because it's wore out. But currency in England in the street doesn't wear out. It's paper. It's plastic. But it's got this big foil, this hologram on it. That's, that's the word for spirit. That, that, that when it says, handle me and see a spirit, the, the Greek word is hologram. In other words, they, they, they thought Jesus was a ghost. And they could stick their hand right through him like, like smoke. And he said... I've got flesh and bone. You know, spirits don't have that. That's why Paul 
writing one time said, unto the king, immortal, eternal, invisible. It's why the Bible said, no man has seen God at any time. Watch what it says next. The only begotten son hath declared him. So when you talk about God, you're talking about spirit. You can also refer to him as father. Bible said in the book of Corinthians, now the Lord is that same spirit, not another spirit. I mean, if you take it through the scripture, John 4, 24 said, God is spirit, you know. <coughs> spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus said, who art thou, Lord? See, if God is spirit, and according to 2 Corinthians 3, the Lord is that same spirit, not another spirit. So whether you call that spirit God or Lord, doesn't matter. It's the same spirit. That's why in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, it says, there's one spirit, capital S. So if there's just one spirit, there's not a spirit of the Father separate from the Spirit of the Son, separate from what? The Holy Spirit. There's just one Spirit. That Spirit is holy. That Spirit is God. You can call that Spirit Father. You can call that Spirit Lord. It's synonymous. It's the same thing. I remember reading a crazy book by a guy named Benny Hinn years ago called Good Morning Holy Spirit. And the whole book is talking about the theory of the Trinity and it said, God is a jealous God. And the whole premise of the book is, make sure you give Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equal time when you pray and praise, because there's jealousy there. And I thought, what a, what a confusing mess that is. You know, I've asked people for years, who raised Jesus from the dead? Because in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, And God the Father who raised him from the dead. Then Jesus was teaching one time, and he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then in Romans chapter 8 says, If the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it'll do to you what it did to him. It resurrected his dead, buried corpse. So... In type, we die through repentance, buried with Christ in baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost will resurrect us, just like it resurrected him. So it's confusing, see, because in Galatians 1 and 1, it says the Father raised him from the dead. In John chapter 2, the Son said he raised himself. But in Romans chapter 8, it said the Holy Spirit raised him. Very confusing if you believe in the theory of the Trinity. See, it says it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-majestic, co-eternal. It doesn't sound to me like a quality when one prays to another. That sounds like dependence to me. It's very confusing if you're trying to... I mean, I've asked people, what do you... People that... that, 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 that well, I, I never have met a tri-theist. 
I've never met anybody that believes in three gods. I, I, I've met people who say they believe in three persons in God. And I asked them, I said, what are you going to see? What do you think you're going to see when you go to the New Jerusalem? Are you going to see an old, old version, you know? A, 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 an older version of the younger one that's got all these scars? And then what, what is, is the other one a bird? A dove? Is that what Holy Spirit looks like? It's confusing. God, his spirit. Okay? Son is flesh. That's it. You don't, you know, you know, I, I, people say it's a blessed holy mystery. You'll never understand it. You just have to accept it by faith. Listen to what the word says. And without controversy, great is the mystery of God in us. God was manifest in the flesh. And the word great there doesn't mean you'll never figure it out. It means it's wonderful. Because that's what Isaiah said is the first thing you better call him. Don't ever forget he's wonderful. Always make sure you call him wonderful. And and, and you, you, you study that word and it is so obvious. Here's Galatians 4. Galatians 4 fascinated me for years. This is what it says in Galatians 4, that, that, that a son differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Then it says, even so we, even so we, disobedient children that we are, It says in Galatians 4 and 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Why is there Christmas? Why is there this thing called the incarnation? When the invisible becomes visible, when spirit wraps itself in flesh, what's the purpose? The purpose is in Galatians 4 and 5. Number one, to redeem them that were under the law of sin and death, that they might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, or because you are redeemed sons, God has sent forth the Spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, an heir, join heir with Christ, that will reign with him. What is Galatians 4 talking about? It's talking about us. We're the kids that have this fabulously wealthy father. But as long as we allow someone other than that father to direct our lives, we under what are known as tutors and governors, an external government, an external oversight, slavery, if you will, that's pulling the strings, controlling our lives. That's what not knowing him is all about. So when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. I mean, I hear people talk about what, what great love this was. God took his son and said, now you go down there and die for the world that I created. That's real love. No, that's cosmic child abuse. You don't send someone else to do your dirty work. Jesus Christ 
is not Jehovah Junior. He's God in flesh. The one almighty, omnipotent God in flesh. Why? Because Galatians 4 is very clear. It's using two words, redemption and adoption. Listen close to me to you. You, you are adopted by the Spirit, but you're redeemed by the blood, not vice versa. You're not redeemed by the Spirit adopt, or redeemed by the Spirit and adopted by the blood. You're redeemed. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now just think of this phrase, the Son of God. See, 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 the Son is not God. If the Son is God, then God died on the cross. And since God can't die, something else must be happening here. That's why the Bible said he gave up the ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Since there's only one Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not separate from the Spirit of the Father, what's it talking about? It's saying that Spirit that was in him left him. And for the first time in his life, he felt like we felt. God abandoned. Where are you? He'd never felt like that before. This is important that you grab this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Child has to be born, not given. Son has to be given. Thou shalt call his name. Whose name? The son's name. Wonderful. No problem with that. Counselor, I have no problem with that. The mighty God, I have no problem with that. The everlasting father. Whoa. How can you call the son the everlasting father if they're two separate persons? You can't. But if you understand father is spirit and son is flesh, then you can call the son the father because the son called himself that. Have I been so long time with you and you don't know who I am? He that has seen me has seen the father in flesh. I'm not just a man. I'm not just some kid from Nazareth. I can walk on water. I can heal. And I'm going to do something greater than that in not too long. This is important that you always understand this concept because it's the key to understanding this technical verse in Corinthians 15. Corinthians 15 is my skinny little guy in West Virginia. How can you call the mayor, the chief of police, and the judge at the same time? It was easy. One guy wearing three hats. Right now, the God that we serve has chosen to come to this world in flesh. It's called the sonship. It's where you get the concept of Lord from. We have access right now to his blood. We have access to his mercy. Take advantage of it. Exploit it. It's there for your purpose, for your salvation. It's massively important in your lives. Why? Because right now, this God that we serve has got two hats. He's a judge 
and he's a merciful Lord. But the coming a day when that merciful Lord and that office won't be needed anymore. He's taking that hat off, saying God, who's the judge of the world, is the savior of the world. But there's coming a day when Jesus' name baptism won't work. There's coming a day when you won't be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's coming to an end. It said there's coming a day when the sonship, the very act of God taking on flesh, will be over. That God may be all in all. And there'll be a judgment. And there won't be a Lord present there. It'll be a judge. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then comes the judgment. That's going to happen. I got pulled over by a police officer in Warren years ago. Had Sean Cabot go with me and represent me. Was sitting in there. And I said, Sean, this isn't a court. This is a casino. This is a license to print money. He said, you have no idea. I just saw hundreds of people. Wow. That judge got up, but he said, now, if you're here and you have a traffic violation and you are willing to pay the fine, I'll waive the points on your license. If that sounds agreeable to you, walk through that door right there. I mean, the whole place stood up. I'll pay the money, man. I just don't want the points against my license. Except one doofus. And that guy said, I will represent myself today. Judge said, please come forward. This dude started quoting statutes and codes and things from 18-something or other. Blah, blah, blah. And that judge looked so bored. It just amazed me. Boy, he let that guy go on for about 10 minutes. He said, I've heard all this before. How do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, your honor. He said, you're guilty. Wham. Not only are you paying a fine, you're getting the points. The guy just put up a massive, just, just belligerent. And he said, that's enough, sir. He said, now you're going 30 days in jail. I couldn't get that money out of my wallet fast enough to pay that ticket. <laughs> and I sat there after I paid my ticket, came back in that courtroom. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I was, I was in line for that Kwame Kilpatrick jury. I made it to the third vetting process. Man, I wanted to be a part of that jury bad. And finally they got down and said, what's your position on capital punishment? And I said, oh, I, I, I believe in it very strongly. Thank you very much, sir. You're dismissed. That was it. They say it won't deter crime. It will deter that person from committing crime again. And you need to go to, just go to a traffic court. 
Don't go to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. and those nine justices up there. Just go to a traffic court. Let me tell you what, there's a hush that falls on that crowd. That dude, you better be on your feet when he walks in. He walks in, he sits down, you can sit down. All of a sudden, that, that man there starts saying, you know, the honorable whatever, presiding today, call docket number 190C, boom, boom, boom. There's abject terror in that room. And if that little dude in Warren could pull that off, you tell me what it's going to be like when the God of the earth is sitting behind the bench, knows every filthy thing I've ever thought, every nasty word that ever slid out of my mouth, every terrible place these feet have taken it to, every terrible thing my hands have ever touched. You think I'm not going to take advantage of repentance? You're out of your mind. (laughs) You think I'm not going to fall on my knees in front of a Lord that could show me mercy still and not take advantage of that? You're crazy. You got to be, man, (laughs) take advantage of this. Because when you say the son of God, what is the son? It's the flesh that God wrapped himself in. What is God's spirit? So when you say the son of God, you're saying the flesh of the spirit. And that's it. That's the great mystery that God would wrap himself in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. We're able to be with him. Not just him with you, you with him. Wow. It's Christmas time. I got some questions for Mary. Gonna meet her one day. Did he ever come home with a black eye? Did he ever have a girlfriend? Did he get good grades in school? Question I'd like to ask Mary. Did he ever have a childhood friend whose name was Judas? Did he ever have a nightmare? Did he ever have a bad dream? And you had to go home, go back in there and soothe him. My favorite question. I wonder, I just wonder what him and his cousin John talked about when they were kids. Because that Baptist and him both knew they were destined to be something amazing. What did them kids talk about after the ball game? Our family was blessed with a beautiful little girl this week. Her name is Cameron. Ashley and I are leaving Tuesday morning to go see her. I hope the rest of her life will be very boring compared to her entrance. Days of contractions, multiple trips to the hospital to settle her mother down. For the last two months, 
Her mom and dad's been in, her mom's been in and out of the hospital trying to settle her womb down because it looked like that little thing was fixing to come. And it's just not real smart to have a baby show up two months early. And, and, and finally, I'm calling Renee again and again this week. Do we have a grandbaby yet? And she said, no. All of a sudden, Renee called me and said, please call people and have them pray. She can't be born conventionally. They're going to operate on Brittany and take the baby. This baby that, that, that looked like it wanted to come when you could hold it in his hand. Now it's over eight pounds. It's a big baby. I said, my goodness, if that baby don't show up, it's going to be in third grade. This was a picture of her sister years ago when my first granddaughter was born. I took that pudgy little hand and wrapped it around my thumb. I show it to Parker now, and she just is stunned by this picture that, that, that her hand was that little. And, and, and I'm... I'm, I'm I, it's so obvious to me that the same love and emotion that I felt when I first held Brittany and, and Ashley and then Parker and now I get to go hold this little girl. I think of Mary holding that little baby boy in her arms. Did she even have a clue that one day those tiny little hands were going to break bread and feed thousands of people? Did she, did, did she have a clue that, that those were the hands that were going to reach into a casket and give a widow back her son? Is, did, 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 she couldn't have possibly known that he's obviously looking one way and reaches around his back to, to dip some type of bread in a sauce and bumps another hand and turns around and he's eyes to eyes with Judas. And he had just said just a little while ago, whoever dips with me in the sop, that's the one that's going to betray me. Yet watch the Lord still being merciful. Watch, watch the last call of love when those eyes locked across that table. Abject terror in one, nothing but mercy in the other. And he said, whatever you do, son, you're going to have to do it real fast. You see, it's, he's still got a chance. What he's saying is, if you're going to serve me, Judas, you're going to have to make up your mind right now. And if you're going to sell me, then leave this room and sell me. But whatever you do, you got to do it now. John is the only one that wrote it. He said, and when Judas went out, he just said, it was night. And you better believe it, ladies and gentlemen. It was the darkest night that man ever would know in his life. When he made up his mind, he would not serve, but rather sell the very one that had been nothing but good to him. Do you understand? These these little hands and feet are going to have a ragged hole in them one day. Here's the verse 
It's in Leviticus 16. He shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. You see, in the Old Testament, when you're dealing with that atonement thing, there has to be seven splashes of the blood, seven sources of blood. We all know about his back would be ripped apart. So blood is obviously coming from his back and those stripes. We know about that, that crown of thorns that was pushed down into his head and he's got blood leaking out of multiple holes around his head. We all know about the spear in his side, but that's only three. You've got to have four more places that blood comes from. This is why the hands have to be pierced. The feet have to be pierced. So you've got one source of blood on the back, one on his brow, number two, one from his side, number three, the left wrist, number four, the right wrist, number five, the left ankle, number six, the right ankle, number seven. Now you have satisfied those scriptures. He's got to be the sacrifice. Mary had no clue holding that precious little thing that those tiny little hands and feet wouldn't be so pristine and perfect for long. There would be a day they would drive. How do you drive a spike, a nail into those wrists, into those, those feet? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? You, you, you have to, listen, it says in Psalms 22 and verse 16, this is hundreds of years before, for dogs have come past me. David talked about the hounds of Bashan. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That prophecy, he's, I mean, okay, that one guy could feel, fulfill 10 prophecies on one day. Man, that, that's, that's stretching it. That one guy could, could, could fulfill 30 prophecies in one day. What are the odds of that? But that one man could fulfill over 300 prophecies in one, what are the chances of that? This is beyond calculation. This is not by chance. This, this is by design. This is prophecy that it's those hands that are going to be pierced. Those feet are going to be pierced. It's prophetical that those chubby little cheeks are one day going to have a beard in them and they're going to rip that beard out and they're going to spit. They're going to spit on that face because it says in Isaiah 50 and 6 that that face would be spit on. Those cheeks, those little cheeks, those would be the ones that would be kissed by, 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 by a traitor. By a, I mean, we call him the king of kings. For, for, for though you, you're king, you're not going to touch any satin. You're, 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 you're not going to own any gold. You'll grasp no pen, no brush. Your tiny hands are reserved for works more precious. These are the hands that are going to touch a leper's open wound. These are the hands that are going to wipe a widow's weary tear. These are the hands that are going to claw at the ground at Gethsemane. Your hands so tiny, so white, clutched in an infant's fist. They aren't destined to hold a scepter, a wave, something from a palace balcony. They are reserved instead for Roman spikes. Stapled to a Roman cross. So when Mary 
I wanted to ask her a question. When he was a boy and he saw them leading sheep to the slaughter, did he get quiet? Do you understand, Mary, that you could have counted the stars with him and succeeded? (laughs) And not only that, he knew every one of their names. And finally, did you ever stop to realize that's God eating my soup? I had a job working in the gallery in Houston. Went around a corner on the 14th floor and there was Ronald Reagan. I was just in awe, just in awe. (laughs) Hello, sir. I didn't ask him for an autograph. Can't take selfies back then. I was in line one time in the Pittsburgh airport. There was a guy standing by me. He had this massive, expensive fur coat on. and He had it pulled up around his face. I could just see the slits of his eyes. And I said, I know who you are. It was Franco Harris. He was the darling of the Ohio Valley. He was the runner from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He just said, pal, it's way too early in the morning for autographs. I said, your secret's safe with me. I've met some fascinating people in my short lifetime. Think of the highest profile person you can possibly think of right now. <laughs> think of think of the one person on this planet that you would like to meet more than anybody else, and you know there isn't the ghost of a chance it's ever going to happen. And then think of them ending up on your porch today after church. You'd tell everybody. But I'm telling you, the God of the universe wrapped himself in flesh to show up in my life and yours. (laughs) He became all that we are in order that we could become all that he is. He's our elder brother, firstborn among many brethren. We are joint heirs with Christ. It's Christmas time. Emmanuel. God with us. And so this year, wrapping up, I'm so glad years don't have 30 months. Wow, 12's almost too many. I don't know about you, but every time I get to December, I kind of wish the year would have ended in October because I'd already made enough mistakes and I'd already botched up enough things that, my God, I'd like to start over. I can't tell you, only God can create New Year's Day. (laughs) I'm so glad this year's in the books, coming to an end, but it's 2020. And 2020 is a lot of things. But one thing it is, is the very best vision and eyesight you could possibly have. 
And this year, we got to see things clear. And we have to have a vision. Where are we going? What are we going to do? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. If you're here today and you've been playing games with God, it's time to cut that foolishness out. I'm giving you the greatest Christmas present you ever get in your whole life. Another chance. Another chance. Another chance. Stand with me. Stand with me. Another chance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll show you where we're going for the next five years when we do our next missions. Show you physically what we want to do on this property. Give you the vision of where we want to go. At the same time, not relaxing our commitment to foreign missions or to home missionaries. I don't know about you, but this thing is like crystal clear to me. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. And I'm convinced this God we serve is not a teaser. He's not just going to dangle something in front of us and say, see that? You're never going to have it. He's a God that shows things to you. He's a God of dreams and visions. He does it for a reason. Get a fresh vision for your family. Get a fresh vision for your marriage. Get a fresh vision for this city and this church. Start to see things from a bigger perspective and realize, oh, I've got a chance to participate in missions giving. I've got a chance to build other churches. I've got a chance to do that now. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come with me around this altar. Come with me around this altar. Hallelujah. Emmanuel. God. God's with us. God's with us. Not some politician. Not some high-profile political figure. No, 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 no. I've given up on these politicians. All they want to do is fuss, feud. It's not our answer. The church is this earth's last best hope. And we right now, I know Christmas is coming and kids are all excited. I get that because Christmas is for kids. I've always believed that. But I also know it's a time of the year when we're ramping up. I ask you humbly, commit yourself to fasting at the beginning of this year. I don't care if it's called a Jewish fast, a Daniel's fast, or just an old-fashioned fast, which is not fast at all. It's slow. Nothing goes fast during a fast. It goes very, very, very slow. If you think February is the shortest month of the year, but it's the longest month of the year to me. If you think February goes slow, you try to not eat for 10 days. You think, you, think, you think life's going real fast right now? Just start fasting for a week. Trust me, you'll realize there's a lot of time in a week that you didn't think about before. Let's give ourselves to the things of God. Don't just fast, pray. Fast and pray. While you're denying this flesh, give some groceries to your inner man, your inner woman. Build up that most holy faith inside of us. 
Amen. Jews have times of prayer. Muslims have times of prayer. What about for these first 21 days? Did you ever think about, do you have a one-year Bible? If you don't, would you mind? Would you like to get one? Get an NIV. Get a message. Amen. Get a chronological one-year Bible. They're all great. Just get in the Word. I don't care if you use the Living Bible. I don't care if you use the most watered-down thing there is. Just get in that Word and start applying that thing to your life. Take some Sabbaths in those 21 days. Would you commit your lunch break? At some time, sometime during your lunch break, would you open up your Bible or find download it on your phone and read some scripture during your lunch break? Amen. What about when you get home? Would you take another? I'm just talking about a couple minutes here. I'm not saying you got to read 10 chapters. And I'm just, I'm just saying get in the rhythm of reading that word. Amen. Starting to pray. Walk in it. You can live in it. Jesus name hallelujah put your hand on someone's shoulder if it's appropriate right now let's pray in the Holy Ghost let's pray right now these folks are going to sing behind me amen God's with us right now he's with us right now he wants to help us he wants to energize us he wants to forgive us he wants to heal us he wants to do stuff in us and through us your hands your mouth you're the one that's going to teach the bible study you're the one that's going to invite them you're the one that's going to be praying with them in jesus name hallelujah lord jesus my brother my sister in the same way that you came in flesh just so this world could know that you're here i'm putting my hand my physical hand on my brother and my sister right now to let them know that just as sure as I am here right now, you are here right now. You are here right now. If I've got my hand on somebody that's sick in their body, heal their body right now in Jesus' name. If I've got my hand on somebody whose family is under attack, I put a hedge round about them right now in Jesus' name. If I've got my hand on someone, Lord, that's full of questions and doubt, thinking about giving up, help me to put something inside of them, to not be weary in well-doing, because you can get weary in well-doing, but we will reap if we don't faint, if we don't faint. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Somewhere beyond the insertion, somewhere beyond the duress, somewhere beyond the head and the heavy that you carry. Oh, Jesus. Get in the yoke with him. Get in the harness with him. He'll do the heavy lifting. 